All right, so here's the deal. Um, I have a robust slideshow, unlike how I usually preach, uh, because today's sermon is a Lego sermon. So here at Cross City, we believe firmly that we should be exposing the scriptures, which means you should find yourself in the middle of a book, usually when you show up, that we've been teaching our way through it. It's really a helpful thing to keep uh, the diet of a church being the hobby horse of a speaker, right? Because if it's just topics, and uh, let's say Greg's the speaker, it's about whatever Greg tends to like, right? Whatever Greg thinks about marriage, whatever Greg thinks about this, whatever Greg thinks about that. And we think it's really important to just stay in the text and move through and be honest to God's words and not skip over things that are hard and not overly camp on things that we like. So it's called expository or expositional preaching. It's the style we have. We just moved through the book of Romans. But there are times where we do something called a topical series, right? And here's the danger of that. You can Lego those things together, right? So I'm going to use a bunch of text today. And to be honest with you, if you never heard me before, there's a danger that I have pulled these things out like Legos and I'm snapping them together to make it say what I want to say. That's the danger of a topical sermon. The safety of this topical sermon is it's built off the pieces that we just exposited for 54 weeks, okay? So uh, if you're kind of curious about it, we got them all online for you to watch them and to go along. So with that said, it's kind of a robust slideshow today, a little bit of tech, and all of our tech's been breaking. So um, if it breaks, just roll with me, give me mercy and grace. In the end, my hope this morning, I've been really excited about this topic because I need it. I need the topic. Um, I want to be a Trinitarian man, and I want to take full advantage of the Trinity. We just sang a song. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, so I've been a believer for a long time, but I often in my foolishness don't take advantage of the Spirit of God and His presence in my life. And so today we are going to be going in down the rabbit trail of the Spirit of God. And um, I'm going to move past things pretty fast. So in case you're confused, I could always send you the notes, okay? Uh, you could also talk about it in your MCs to discuss it out a little bit. Um, or we could talk, all right? In the end, I don't want to teach you so many new things about the Spirit. I want to bring, bring down practicality. What do you do with the Spirit of God? What do you do with the Spirit? How do you take advantage of the one who lives inside of you? So let me just pray and ask the Lord to bless our, our time. Father, we come to you, and we come to you as people who were designed to be dependent on you, and we have been redeemed to once again be dependent upon you, and you have put your spirit into us to help us today. So as we even look at the words about your spirit, I pray that you'd help me by your spirit be clear. And I pray you'd help us all by your spirit to listen to your word. And Father, won't you please um, unfold notionally and in belief level, unfold the help that you as our Father have given us by the indwelling Spirit. Um, let us not live like orphans. Would you please help us all go out of here living less like orphans, more fully tasting the love and the fellowship of our Heavenly Father and Savior. So I pray for your help today in Christ's name. Amen. So we're finishing out the book of Romans. Today is we're moving into Romans leftovers. Um, last week... Um, our, our title was, our topic was, Christ is the Lord, not just ours. Christ is the Lord, not just ours. So when we think through the gospel, we often think about what, what, how, how we were separated from God. We were independent from God, shall we say, feral, away from the Lord. But then what God has proposed to us is to have God as our king and treasure, to have Jesus as our king and treasure. That's the new spot where he would be my Lord. And if he's going to be my Lord, i got to find a Savior because I'm dead or in a doornail. 
So Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Savior. But at the end of it, he brings me to him, a new relationship with Jesus, and Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. And so often in, in general Christianity, we don't understand that that is the end of it all. We think that Jesus is Savior, and what does he do? It's the golden ticket, right? He'll rescue me when I die or, or maybe make my life better. But I think clearly about God inviting us to sit underneath him, the good and right and true and beautiful and wonderful king. So here in our church, I think a lot of us kind of get that. We're like, okay, okay, and that's why we keep coming back to his word to get the instructions of the king because we don't have the right instructions. We don't have the right information. We were darkness. We lived in darkness. Our eyes were blinded, and we need Jesus to progressively unfold that light in front of us so we get it. But one of the things that hurts us a lot, I believe, in our church is the fact that we may ascribe to Jesus being our Lord, but often we forget that Jesus is not simply claiming to be our Lord, and he is our Lord, but he is the Lord over all of reality, all truth, all good, all evil, all information. He is the rightful Lord, whether or not any one person or cow agrees with that. He's the Lord. Do you agree with that? That was last week. Do you agree with it? And then do you like it? Number two. Um, and I, and I, as we shared briefly, and I'm not going to redo it, but I really encourage you to catch it if you weren't here last week, just on a trip, if you're a part of our church especially. I really think that in our culture is increasingly pressing its alignment, pressing us into alignment on its own ethics and values and definitions. And this is, in, in a sense, actually kind of a good thing because it's forcing us to make a choice. It's forcing us to make a choice to comply and join with them or, in our hearts, to comply and join with Jesus. It's helpful because it's forcing genuineness in us as believers. Um, my question is, number one, do you, do, you, do you follow under the leadership? Do you subscribe to Jesus Christ as Lord? Oh, we've mentioned last week about, you know, one of the great salvation passages, right? If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and, uh, and you know, if you confess with your mouth and believe that he's Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, but he is Lord, not just your Lord, Right? Salvation is the, the rightful acknowledgement that Christ is supreme over all things, including you. But this world pressing in on us is super helpful because I think it helps us understand, do I actually believe that, and am I happy to talk about it? So we looked at 1 Timothy, First uh, Peter last week, where it says, sanctify Christ as Lord. Settle that issue in your mind. Is he the Lord? And then be ready to give a defense, a reason for the hope, the confidence that resides in you. So not only are you convinced of it in your heart, but are you happy to talk about it? Or are you going to reach for something you think is a little more Lord to explain your position? What do you reach for in your heart? What do you reach for in conversations? Will probably tell us really what we think is actually Lord over all things. So is he your Lord? Is he the Lord? Always right, good, and wise. And are you joyfully proud of him? That was last week, leftover number one. Leftover number two is this week. Seeking the quiet longings of the Spirit. Seeking the quiet longings of the Spirit. And I'm, I'm kind of guessing, due to a lot of my conversations, that for a lot of you guys, some of the things I'm going to say today is kind of new. Or maybe clarifying, or maybe obscuring. We'll see. Hopefully it's not that. Um, seeking the quiet longings of the Spirit. Um, in the Old Testament, because, because Romans is written this way, in the Old Testament, um, people were saved by grace through faith and then god had given obedience code it's a temporary obedience called called the law or we call it the, I'll call it the mosaic code it was temporary it was designed to exist until jesus came and then when jesus came he unfolded the new and better thing right jesus leads in a different way so he closes up the old the old 
the old covenant, right? The Mosaic Code, he closes it up, and he now leads us in a different way, not by a code, not a very stiff code that was hard to work with in the first place, but now guided by a person. Not a code, but by a person. In the book of Galatians, uh, earlier than what we're going to quote today, in the three, it, it describes the old covenant believer as being a child of God, but like a really small child of God, like with footy pajamas on, right? With a very clear sense of rules of bedtimes and eatings and all those kind of things. But now we are the grown-up children of God because we have the Spirit of God in us. We're no longer ruled by a stiff code of law, but that has been removed because now we're grown up and the Spirit is in us, and now the person of the Spirit now leads us, and he leads us in two ways. Number one, that Spirit wrote the New Testament. So we look there to find the mind of Jesus as the Spirit uh, portrayed it. And then number two, the Spirit is in you. The Spirit is in you. He will lead you in a way of obedience. Old Testament, Old Testament, New Testament, same. Zero tolerance of sin. It's never like the Spirit's going to go, all right, I said no lying, but just a little bit this time now. because we're new. No, no, no. Sin is still repented from, fled from. But obedience, the to whom and how much and when, those things will be led by the Spirit as we seek Him. So as we go along here, um, in hoping not to overwhelm you, let's just start off with this. Holy Spirit 101, some basics, okay? If you're taking notes, here, here are four passages of Scripture that you should be aware of if you want to think about the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, sorry, sorry, John 14, John 16, Romans 8, Galatians 5. John 14, John 16, Romans 8, Galatians 5. Those are the four biggies in the New Testament that give us the most information. So three simple things we pull out of John 14 and 15. Number one, the Spirit is how the Father and Son promised they would dwell in us. So Jesus says, the Father and I, we will come make our home with you. We will tabernacle with you. And how would that happen? Happen through the Spirit. Number two, the Spirit is how Christ promised not to leave us as orphans. Do you ever feel like an orphan? I do. I feel very alone. He goes, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And the key, the solution to the orphanage problem, the orphanage feel, is that he leaves his Spirit to us and in us. So the role of the Spirit in our life is a solution to the orphan dynamic that we face as children of God who can't see our Father right now. Third, the Spirit is in us. Uh, the Spirit in us is more helpful to us than Jesus physically next to us. Now, I totally disagree with Jesus the first couple times I read this. There's just no way that could be true. Because as disciples, you can read it, John 14, John 16. Disciples, Jesus goes, um, I, got, I got to leave. And they're like, what? No, he goes, actually, it's better for you. You want me to go so I can send the Spirit into you. So the Spirit in you is more advantageous to you than Jesus sitting in a chair right next to you. And I don't agree with that at all in my own flesh, but I've come to understand more and more he means that, he really meant that, and I understand more and more the reasons of why it is helpful. Because Jesus was standing next to them, speaking to them, whereas the Spirit comes in and does something inside of us and something to us affects us in new ways. Affects us in ways that Jesus was not affecting his disciples when he was standing next to them. So that's Spirit 101. Let's think about the basics of spirit and dwelling. Now, heads up, here's what we're going to do. If you've got a Bible, an analog version, you're going to have two fingers and you're going to stick it in your Bible. Um, one's in Romans 8 and one's in, in Galatians 5. I know James read Galatians 5 for us. I just didn't want him to read half the New Testament. So we're going to be both in, in Romans 8 and Galatians 5. And I'm going to reference, and I'm going to put on the screen, too, in case you're, you're totally lost where I'm at. 
these passages here. So the basics of spirit indwelling. Number one, those without the spirit cannot please God. Romans 8.8. 8. Here's, here's why I say that. It says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Hmm. Subtly. So here's the deal. If you're here and you don't have the spirit of God, you can't crack a smile on the face of God. You're totally incapable of it. You can't bring any pleasure to him. So the thoughts of like, eh, I'm a little off and I can adjust, it's just not there, folks. He says in different ways, we're dead and naked and destitute, broken without God, without hope. But he says here, if you don't have the spirit, you cannot please him. You're not even, you're not even in the runnings for it. So this has been a very helpful for text for me as I've been sharing the faith of people for years and helping people take their hands off of that pile of self-righteousness because everyone loves that self-righteousness. Everyone wants to think they can self-fix, but you can't self-fix. Jesus says, if you don't have a spirit, you cannot please God, not for one moment. Number two, all Christians have the spirit. Look at Romans 8 verses uh, 9 and 10. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although because the, the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. There's a few things here that I'm not going to explain just for the sake of time. But we see this, that every Christian has the Spirit of God. And only those who have the Spirit of God can please God. So something has to happen to us. We have to be made alive. The Spirit has to be put in us. And he's been put in you if you know Jesus Christ, even if you didn't know what he's going to do to you the moment you asked Christ to save you. So if you're in him, you have the Spirit. Third, all Christians can fail to follow the Spirit. So this is in Galatians 520, uh, 5.25. It says, if we live by the Spirit, and you do if you're Christian, we have the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us keep in step with him, which means you cannot. And I will tell you yesterday, as I'm trying to study for this, whatever, I'm trying to practice this, because I, ne I need this, I want this myself. There were so many moments, uh, I was because I'm studying this, I just play it real time. There were so many moments last night where I was walking in the Spirit, I would look at the Spirit and ask Him for guidance, and then so many times, I didn't. I just went my natural way. So you, as a Christian, with the Spirit in you, have within you the ability at times, and maybe even for giant seasons, to not walk in the Spirit, to, to literally not keep in step with the Spirit, is the literal words there. Fourth, the Spirit will only lead into truth and righteousness. Never sin. Never sin. So eh, if, you're, if you're a New Testament reader, you know that people, once the, the Spirit topic comes out in the New Testament, everyone's like, woo, show me the miracles, right? Let me do some amazing language stuff. Let me bzz, green fire. Let me do all those kind of things. <laughs> but in, in, first, in first Corinthians and in Galatians, he's going, listen, if the Spirit is there and is in control, you're not going to go into sin. That's the number one leading of the Spirit is, is the repentance from sin. Uh, we see this in Galatians 5, 19 to 23. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Fill in the blank. You know where it's going. Like These are the fruits of the flesh-driven mind. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So those who do those things and keep doing those things, it's the way of your life. The kingdom isn't yours. So we don't play around with those things. Contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. They're in harmony with how the Old Testament law was written. Right, so if the Spirit is there and we're following the Spirit, those things pour out. So... 
Fourth, again, was the Spirit will only lead in truth and righteousness, never sin. Fifth, following the Spirit is the sign of eternal life. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You want to know if you're alive? Fruit check. Look around the bottom of the tree. What's there? You're supposed an apple tree and there's nothing but nasty avocados? There might be a problem, right? Uh, look at Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Do you, are you catching how vital the Spirit and our attentiveness to the Spirit is for us understanding, like, am I alive? Am I alive? So those are the basics of the indwelling of the Spirit. Now, let's move on to some, some more details. Now, what do, you, what do you do? Those are kind of basics, okay? How the Spirit leads. How the Spirit leads. Number one, our natural flesh wages war against the Spirit. Now, now this is where particularly I'm moving into some stuff that you may not be aware of. So I just challenge you to go, do you know these things, okay? So our first piece is this. Our natural flesh wars against the spirit, one always wins. And with that, I want to introduce to you guys two contenders. This word flesh, this word spirit, okay? In all these passages, flesh and spirit shows up. Flesh is not sinful in itself in these passages. It is not sinful itself. The natural, self-advancing, protective desires of the body and mind, okay? So in itself, it's not sinful. But sinful, if allowed to rule, Christ had flesh, felt his desires, but did not submit to it. We, we can think about this in temptation, right? When Satan brought temptations to Christ in the wilderness. We can think about this in Christ in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he finally he says, you know, he's crushed, you know, he's, he's sweating drops of blood. And he goes, you know, not my will, but your will be done. He felt Jesus didn't want to get skin filleted off his body. Jesus didn't want to die on the cross. I guarantee you he did not want that. That's why he's saying it's not my will, but yours. Because he felt the desires of the flesh and yet without sin. So flesh itself here in this passage today is not sin, but if it is in control and ruling, sin is coming out of it. The opposite is the Spirit, who is the living Holy Spirit who abides within us, who's the third person of the Trinity. How many gods are there? One God. How many persons in that Godhead? Three. I know it's amazing. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We call the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. He submits to the Son, who submits to the Father, and loves doing it. And was at work and the creation of the world was at work in the Old Testament in regeneration, inspiration of scriptures, um, in the illumination of the scriptures, the New Testament, and actually in the Old Testament, he would come upon people in a prophetic sense and those who would rule Israel and those would be the prophets, but not like he does it in the New Testament. In the New Testament, he moves from upon certain people to in all believers, every last one of us, and it's a new work. So, how the Spirit leads. I say to you, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these two are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want. So our first piece is this. Our natural flesh wars against the Spirit. There's a tug of war inside you. There are two forces. Christian, if you're not a Christian, there's one force inside of you. There is no Spirit yet. There's no Holy Spirit yet. So 
That can be fixed literally by this moment saying, God, I give it to you. I want you. I want you to be my king, and I trust the work of Jesus. I'm done. You do that, right now you're saved. Right now, boom, the Spirit's in you. You're probably not going to feel him wiggle, jiggle. You're not going to hear a rushing sound going into your ear, but he promises right then he puts the Spirit in you, and he pours out his love on you. So that's available to you from this point out as you sit there in the chairs. But for those of us who have Jesus, we have dueling things inside of us, this flesh and the Spirit, and one always wins. There's a cool promise right there. Walk in the Spirit, and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So it's a toggle. It's a binary toggle, right? You follow the Spirit, whatever that means. We'll talk about that in a second. And you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, our second piece, the war of flesh and spirit is one of desires and longings. So this, you see it, but I just want you to know how helpful this may be here. Galatians 5.17 and Romans 8. It, the battle is a battle of desires and longings, not primarily of literal words, okay? Listen to those words in the verse we just read. I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these things are opposed to each other and keep you from doing the things you want to do. In Romans 8, talking about prayer, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us the groanings too deep for words. That's not whale noises. It's not like, things like, that's, that's just languages for like, I want something. Like, I, I can't even really explain why I want. I, I just long for something. So, the war of flesh and spirit is one of desires and longings. Third, the Spirit is a living person, expressing, leading, even when we don't know it. In Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, which means the Spirit is there and the Spirit is stepping. He's, 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 he's a living person inside you, inside me, and he has perfect perspective and perfect desires on every single thing, and he's there and he's alive. He's not snoozing. He's not like a dormant animal in your chest that you've got to awaken somehow. No, no, no. He's very much awake. It's just you that's snoozing. It's me that's snoozing. So the Spirit is there. He's perfectly seeing all things. He's there to lead. Our call is to recognize that that person is there inside of us and to become in tune with what he is leading towards already. Fourth, walking in the Spirit is found in a mindset of seeking the Spirit's longings and obeying. Romans 8, 5, and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For the mind that is on the flesh is death, but, the line that, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. So what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? It means that we're setting our minds on Him. He says it in different ways. So New Testament readers, you've heard about abiding in Christ, right? Okay, why, how do I know that? Well, because abiding in Christ, if you haven't read it, John 15, you got to go there. Not now. John 15 is strategically placed between two numbers. That would be John 14 and John 16, which I told you are leading passages about the, about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. John 15 is an unfolding. Abiding in Christ is an unfolding. It's what the Spirit of God is doing. The Spirit of God is there not just to point to himself, but to bring us and let us know Jesus. So the mind is set on the Spirit. It's called abiding. Elsewhere, it's called setting your mind on things above where Christ is. Let me tell you this, brothers and sisters, in this passage, the Spirit is not evasive. 
He's not like some kind of, number one, he's not sleeping or dormant. Number two, he's not like some kind of like rodent you have to trap somewhere in your mind. Like the God of heaven doesn't want you to experience orphan living. He has put the spirit of God in you, a living person who is very much alive and wise. He put him there to lead you, to lead me, to help us, not to hide from us. He is there functioning perfectly. Consider these words out of Luke 11. If anyone asks the Spirit, I will give him. Right? Or let me just quote it for you because it's even better. He says, if you then, who are evil, dads, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? His Spirit's already there. But you want the Spirit to move. You want the Spirit to rise up in power. You want to be able to notice the Spirit? Ask. He will not hide. He will not hide. So, Walking in the Spirit is found in a mindset of seeking the Spirit's longings and obeying. And, and that is not simply just a moment. That's a lifestyle. Uh, we think of, uh, we think of uh, uh, Stephen in Acts. Uh, we think of other people, qualifications in the New Testament for positions. They're people who are full of the Spirit. What does that mean? They're people who are continually setting their minds on the Spirit. They're putting there looking to see how the Spirit would lead. Now again, disclaimer again, because you may not have heard it the first time. What does it mean? Where do we find the mind of the Spirit? Number one, we find the mind of the Spirit in the written Word of God, which was given by the Spirit. And He will never cross that. So you're not sitting there going, oh, blank slate. What should I do? First, feast on God's Word. Learn the words of the Spirit. He wrote those words. We have them. So if you're really interested in the Spirit, get your nose in the text and plow it. First Timothy this week, right? We'll understand the words of the Spirit. And then number two, then we seek the individual leading of the Spirit, and he will always lead within what he's already described in the Scriptures. So he's not evasive. Uh, he's not there to hide from us. He's there in order to lead us, to help us, to make us not function like orphans. But here's our dynamic, brothers and sisters. All the time, your flesh is a ridiculously loud speaker in your heart, and it's just going all the time. Boy, wants, 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 wants. And half the time, you don't even notice it. It's just won you over all day long. You're pre-won, and you don't even know it. I'm just talking about you. I mean me, but I'm just going to go for you right now. Your heart is already pre-won, and you don't even know it. So we're called to wake up, to be diligent, to watch and be sober. Remember those languages from these texts, right? To, to wake up and to be sober-minded. To break, break free from the brainwash of our natural desires. And sure, there are many times with the Spirit of God, I've experienced it, you probably too, where the Spirit of God has broke through your ignorance and your stupidity to convict you, to come in and help you, to testify the truth of God. There's times he breaks through, but the norm of it isn't the Spirit of God breaking through in that way. It's the Spirit of God stirring us to look towards the Spirit, put the mind on things of the Spirit. That is the norm of our life. If you're to be filled with the Spirit, you have to be a seeker of the Spirit's leading. All right, so that then brings us to this. What do I do? How do I practically make this work out? All right, bunch of bullet points. Number one, become an expert in the heart of Jesus by feasting on the scriptures. You like the spirit, you're gonna love the word. Don't love the word, you're not interested in the spirit. Number two, fight the mental intoxication of your natural impulses or better habits, I'll come at that one, in the moment to put to death his power. So we're all just like desire machines, right? We call it idol machines, idol factories. So a lot of us, we have our natural ones. Like right now, what's your body and mind want? For a lot of us, it's food. For a lot of, some of us, it's like, I just want to be done. 
Um, or you're jonesing for that nap this afternoon, or you want to get that thing done, right? I mean, it's just, I'm telling you, on, if you're right now, we could probably outline a whole list of things. You're just like, you're just oozing desires. And you're not even conscious of it, but you're, you're wanting that, right? So we have that, and then we have willpower on top of that. For some of us have felt like, okay, wait a second. My natural desires lead me to deathful living, to unhealth and poverty and broken relationships, and no one likes me. So I've been watching the internet and watching people that have a better, and I've noticed that Betsy, everyone likes Betsy because Betsy isn't shooting everyone's face off like I am. So don't self, I'm not going to be mean anymore. I'm going to live like Betsy, and then people will love me like Betsy. So we can in our flesh, which has nothing to do with the Spirit of God, go, wait a second. I shouldn't be an addict to anger. I shouldn't be an addict to this. I'm actually going to I'm going to adopt a better habit. What I'm saying is you have impulsive desires and you have better habits that are still out of your flesh. You're not called to live in better habits. Um, the call of Christ is never to like quit screwing up your life by having better here lives. The call of Christ is to walk in the spirit. So that's why I'm saying fight the mental intoxication of your natural impulses or your better habits in the moment and put to death its power. Why do I say put to death? Because... Um, in Galatians 5, it says those who belong to Christ have put to, have put to death the spirit with uh, put to death the flesh with its desires and passions. So we have we already have put it to death, but you got to lay a shovel on its head every day. And, and just for the sake of the, I'm not even not being brutal. We're gonna call it unplugging the radio. Okay, you got this flesh loudspeaker in your heart, you're just like blasting stuff out all the time. You can't hear the spirit of God, who's very active and very doing stuff, but you can't hear it because the loudspeaker is just blaring. So what you do is go, oh. Um, lay down my life daily, right? Put to death the flesh, for you died, unplug that thing so you can perceive what the Spirit might be leading. Third, pray, ask the Father to allow you to sense the Spirit's leading through Scripture um, or righteous desire in the moment. So ask the Father for it. Don't just sit there and like try to be on your own. Ask the Lord, Father, I've seen you advertising this spirit move and non-orphan living, and I want that. That's your idea, not mine. So please help me understand how he's leading. Third, sorry, fourth, in faith, follow him and thank him. So as you do this, as you unplug the loudspeaker of your flesh, and you're asking God, lead me by your spirit, and you're putting out the scriptural grid of like, what do I know to be true, right? So, so for instance, an example would be if you are saying, um, let's say I really want to be an encouragement uh, to, Ka to Katie. Uh, I'm going to be, sorry, Katie, I always pick you. All right, someone else. I really want to be encouraged to Megan. So I'm going to be encouragement to Megan, um, and I might be, in my sense, tempted to lie in order to make things better. Oh, no, you didn't do anything, Megan. I know Megan did something, right? But so the, the scriptural box is like, don't lie. So I can't, the Spirit will never lead me to like, yeah, Megan, that's great. Everyone should, you know, because nothing's wrong. That's, that's me violating the words of the Spirit already. So first of all, think words of the Spirit. Second of all, leading of the Spirit. And in faith, follow Him and thank Him. And if there's time, if there's time, invite your fellowship. In our church here especially, invite your MCs and close friends into seeking the Spirit's leading as well. All right, let's play a little practical game. Why? God is glorified and you encounter max joy. Why does this matter? God's glorified and you counter Max joy. Let's give four examples of this, if these work for you guys. Uh, example number one, prayer, okay? You're praying uh, for a person who we're going to pick. You're praying for Isaac, our great drum player this morning. You're praying for Isaac. When you pray and you're going to access the Spirit, and the Spirit said he helps us in, in Romans chapter 8, 
Um, we talk to the Father, and we invite the Father's invitation to rest in the Spirit's intercession to lead you and to pray for in regards to him. It might be helpful to like offload the things you already want for Isaac. Maybe your heart's bent for him in this way. Say those things, but again, he's advertised that he's putting his spirit into you, help intercede so you will know what to pray for. So say, Father, I want to pray for Isaac, and of course I want all these things for Isaac, but what do you want for Isaac? Is there anything you want to move my heart towards in prayer? Example number two, open opportunity. You're driving home from work, but before you do what just feels good, which is your flesh, and flipping on the radio or your mp3 player or whatever you're going to do or that podcast before just going with what your gut is calling you to your flesh is calling to stop unplug that right check in with the father all right father is there anything you want to lead me into by the power of the spirit to do do you want me to pray anything do you or maybe you just want me it's fine for me to just listen to a podcast or the radio but just check in with the lord what do you want slow down ponder consider is there anything he is going to lead you to how does he lead not audible words he has he done audible words? Yes, he has. Four times in the book of Acts, he did audible words. But the instructions in the New Testament, both in Romans and in Galatians, which are the primary instructions on how to interact with the Spirit, is not looking to audible words, it is looking to desires. So the Spirit works by giving us new desires, new inclinations, as we look to him and submit to him. So hard to figure out? Yes, it can be. And that's why we're here to help each other. To be first in line with the Spirit, the, the words of the Spirit. Number two, the leading of the Spirit. So as you're driving along, saying, Lord, is there anything you want me to do? Maybe it is just to listen to a podcast. Maybe it's like to make a hard right and go visit somebody. Maybe it's to call your mom. Maybe it's whatever it is, right? Third, sinful desire. You find yourself falling in temptation. Stop the descent. <laughs> unplug it. Recognize that the tempting situation, recognize that your flesh just calling out for its own desires and, 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 and wishes. You guys remember that in James? What is Sin. Sin is when our desires are given room to live out in their own ways. Do you guys remember in um, Matthew 6, Luke 11, the Lord's Prayer, how it finishes out? Lead us not into temptation. What is temptation? It's our desires given into, our natural fleshly desires just leading the boat. So in the Lord's Prayer, we're praying against that. And James are warned against it. So I have sinful desires. What's happening is my flesh is just calling out with a loudspeaker. You need, you need, you need, you need. You want, you want, you must have. Unplug it. Recognize what it is. Don't be impulsive. Don't be an impulsive animal. Always just follow what you want to do. Unplug it and say, Father, what do you want? If you're a scriptural person and it's open temptation, you're like, oh, you said don't lust after another man. Don't lust after another woman. That one's pretty clear. End of discussion. You don't want this. I follow you. Fourth example. You sense your friend is sad and can use some encouragement. So before doing something that just seems loving, loving them the way you like to be loved, Ask the Lord for help. <clears throat> All right, Lord, before I move anywhere, how do you want me to love them? Will you lead me in how to love this person? Take note of any scriptural principles. See if you start to desire something specific for them and follow it if it seems right. Friends, here's the funny thing. You're going to have so many times to do this today. <clears throat> Weekend days, weekdays, we have these opportunities times and time and time again throughout every day to look to the Spirit and to not keep experiencing this spiritual orphan life. He'll help us. He's telling us he'll help us. I'm not making it up. I'm hoping you're seeing this like abundantly said clearly in the text over and over again that the Father has put the Spirit in you and his job in you in the New Covenant way is to lead you. And if you're going to be led by him, you've got to slow it down, go off of autoplay, and look to him and ask him for his help and seek the leading. And how is the leading going to happen? It's going to happen through desires or inclinations 
that are invasive to you. So that's why I said if I'm praying for Isaac, sometimes I will first, by clearing the deck, I'm like, all right, all right, here's all the things I think about Isaac. I want this for him. I want this for him. I want this for him. I'm concerned about him with this and that. So I've got it all done. And then I usually set some time aside, maybe a minute, maybe two minutes, depends on who you are. Like, I'm like, and Father, is there anything well, you want to lead me by your spirit into praying for him? Do you want to put desires in my heart? And then as I'm sitting there trying to focus, whatever things I start to want for him, as long as they're scripturally acceptable, I start to pray those things. And I've already got all my stuff out of the way, so now I'm really just giving space for this. Could it possibly be your mind going a little haywire? Sure. That's why Scripture is going to keep you on the safe track. But to give it to the Lord and say, Lord, you have promised to intercede. So I'm asking you, I don't know what to pray. You said in Romans 8, I don't know what to pray for him. So lead me in what to pray for him. Take a minute, just see if the Lord leads you in any desires in your heart. By that, let me just give another coat of paint here. By that I mean, you're probably not going to hear the Lord say, pray for Isaac's big foot. Uh, pray for this in Isaac, but the Lord will lead you in desires for it. Finally, I'll say this. You guys, we were reading this weekend in Philippians, Philippians 3, and I read these words. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of doing Christ Jesus my Lord. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of doing Christ Jesus my Lord. How do you know Jesus? You know Jesus, you know him, not just know about him, you know Jesus by the work of the Spirit in you. You will not know him relationally while being detached from his Spirit's work in you. So if you want to know him, and Paul's going, Paul's saying, hey, listen, I've had, I've had visions of heaven, I've had this. The best thing in the world is me knowing Jesus. How did Paul know Jesus? Paul knew Jesus through the indwelling Spirit, paying attention to his word, interacting with Jesus through his Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You want the life at peace. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Finally, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, is that not the sweetest things of life we experience here? Isn't the hardest things of our life when we don't experience this, especially when these things don't flow out of us? So brothers and sisters, um, we can live with God now in the full benefits of the Father and Son abiding within us do you feel alone and vulnerable? Find the solution to that orphaned heart of yours by noting, seeking, and following the alive and active spirit within you. Begin moving past knowing about Christ to actually knowing him personally and actively through his spirit's written word and his spirit's leading through new desires and inclinations of your heart. That's my hope this morning is that you would be able to taste this and taste it in the next five minutes, and then taste it again. And when he lets you taste it, thank him for it. You're like, that was cool. Let's do it again. And just notice, because all day long, your heart's going to fire up with the loudspeaker over all these opportunities. Recognize the loudspeaker. Ask him to relatively recognize the loudspeaker. Unplug it. Shovel it on the head. Look to the Spirit of God. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to love? How do you want me to pray? How do you want me to spend this time? And enjoy the sweetness of not living an orphan life. Let's pray. So, Father, I pray that you please be with us and give us new life. Um, you tell us that the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is now in us bringing us new life, and this is the new life. Our hearts never quit beating since we came to know you, but we have a new center. So please, Father, by your glory, for your glory and for the joy that you've advertised to us, let us see it and drive it deeper in us today. Let us notice it and taste the joy and taste the thankfulness and recognize, and may we more 
clearly than ever before be able to identify with Paul that knowing you is the best thing in the world and is the most satisfying thing in the world and that our life then is surrounded by these beautiful fruits of righteousness that came through your spirit as you did work in us. Father, please, out of your love for us, give us a great work of your spirit. Give us help to look to your spirit. And all my brothers and sisters said, amen.